You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. FEMA, public information officer, new media, John Shea, goes on the record online. Quite honestly, press releases just don't do it. Press releases will go out and it may just go to the mass media. That's all that they're really paying attention to. But something that we can put out through, say, a social network um, that says, hey, this is the location of all the shelters. And if um, you're kind of concerned about the fact that it's coming through a social network, look back here to the origination of this link, which is back on a FEMA.gov website, so you know it's authorized information. That's the other benefit of using on-network solutions to back-end a lot of the social media tools is that you can actually have the authority of the on-network um, website to be able to say, look, this is accurate, this is verified. Um, it, um, a lot of what you can see out there on the web is that folks can pretend to have the right information or think they have the right information, but there's not that sort of uh, stamp behind them that says this is the official information unless it's coming from a .gov site for many people. A conversation with FEMA Public Affairs Officer, New Media John Shea, about the use of social media during times of emergency. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. John Shea, Public Information Officer, New Media at FEMA. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eric. John, tell us, how does social media offer like-minded and mutually interested communities a platform for potentially life-saving information? Um, the great thing about social media is it lets the citizens get involved. Uh, it's not uh, the old idea of government pushing out messaging, telling individuals what to do. It actually lets us listen to the individuals, but it also lets us help engage them better. Um, it's not just uh, us putting out press releases or information about safety. It's ha- having a forum for them to be able to let us know what is actually going on, but then also what kind of information they really need so we can actually get them the information that is going to help them make better decisions in a disaster. Well, given that, um, that emergencies are local and mm-hmm. that emergencies um, uh, happen without notice, um, and given that social media knows no geographic boundaries, how is FEMA tailoring social media content geographically? Sure. There are several things that um, you can look at geographically. We have 10 regions across the nation. Um, each region is um, responsible for a series of states, and those states uh, have partners, the state emergency managers, but also the uh, local emergency managers in all those states. 
being able to use a uh, distributed network um, helps us be able to uh, create content that is local uh, through those regions, but then is also partnered with the information that's coming through the state and local partners. Uh, for example, information on um, specific state hazards, we can work with states to be able to put out information through the Twitter account, but also through localized websites. Um, it also helps them kind of target down what kinds of uh, disasters are more likely to happen. Um, you'd be very surprised to know that um, from uh, the throughout the Midwest, we've got an, an area um, that's actually an earthquake risk, um, just as much as California. It doesn't; it's not as active, but it could be very dangerous. So we want to make sure that we're promoting earthquake awareness in folk, uh, for folks who actually live um, along these fault lines. Um, but we can also look at things like tornadoes are a very big risk in a lot of the country. If we look at how to get people engaged before disasters to learn the right things to do in a tornado, um, because they're more at risk of that, then that's a great way to be able to engage them. Um, so targeting both the risks, but also the um, local and state partners who are actually going to help us communicate. Um, when we have a disaster, when the president declares a disaster and we stand up what is called the Joint Information Center, we actually work in the communities affected alongside our state partners, and we're able to use the tools from that disaster to communicate locally. So, for example, um, Region 8 would have a Twitter account that's FEMA Region 8. Um, they use it at the region out in Denver, but they would also use it for something that if, for example, a uh, disaster were to happen in Utah, um, wherever that disaster uh, occurs and that we stand up a joint information center, the individuals who are communicating the uh, safety messaging and also the ongoing recovery messaging would use that locally in, in um, tandem with the folks in the region. So when you say you're working uh, in tandem with folks in the region, how does that work? I mean, is it a phone call? Hey, would you put this out over the Twitter feed? Is there a hashtag? Is there any automation there, or is it all manual? I, it, well, it's, there, there, are, there is automation, but there's also um, the human element, which is very important, especially with tools like Twitter. Um, we tie uh, our press releases. We have RSS feeds for specific press releases, and nationally we'll tie our press releases to be able to use that to kind of leverage information. We put out our national sit rep that way also. But we also get on there. What's and the we acronym there? I just want to stop you for one minute. What was the acronym you threw in there? Oh, sit rep. I'm sorry. What is That's that? It's our um, situation report. Um, it's basically a daily snapshot of everything that FEMA is looking at. And we put it as an RSS feed, and it's on our website. At um, If you go to FEMA.gov and you go to the bottom, you'll see uh, a little icon that says feed. And I'll show you all the different feeds that we have. So we tie these to our Twitter account. Um, and so the National SITREP, the Situation Report, um, actually will let individuals know what kind of risks we're looking at in their community. We break it down by um, east, west, north, south, midwest, um, depending on activity. Okay, and then I, w I want you to uh, be able to uh, f finish that thought on um, sure. uh, how, um, you know, whether or not it's automated or manual. Absolutely. So what we did with our um, uh, standard operating procedures for uh, especially Twitter, I'll use Twitter, um, we actually gave an account to each region, and we gave them uh, the rules of this is how you communicate, this is what you use the account for. But as far as content, they're driving the content locally. I'm not telling them from D.C. what to put on their Twitter account. I'm telling them how they can use the account to be able to do stuff. Um, they're using it to do everything from reach to uh, individuals who are asking questions, um, to do uh, outreach to um, their partners at the state, local, and even federal, localized federal agencies to be able to share a message and use our network to help spread their messaging. So the rules are pretty open for what they can do, and we're trying to look at using it more for getting into conversations that the public is having 
Uh, for instance, um, a regional account down in Region 4 used their account uh, a while ago to be able to get into a dialogue where folks were um, concerned about tornadoes. Um, we used our national account for the same thing. Uh, as a tornado was sweeping through um, the, the southwest, uh, we were looking at um, different search functions like TweetGrid and TweetDeck to be able to see what kind of concerns the public had and then reach out to them and say, hey, this is tornado safety. This is the number for your local and state emergency manager. Um, this is something that can help you stay safe. Um, it's very important that we don't overstep our boundaries with communicating to individuals um, because the state and locals have primary messaging. Um, what the local emergency manager or your local fire department or police department is going to put out is going to be basically the information individuals need. So we're also looking for their information. We call them our partners because we can take their information, use our broad network to help share their message so that the public is getting uh, the information from more than just one source. So how many regions do you have? FEMA has 10 regions a nation. Um, each region is responsible for a series of states, usually four to five states. Now, what you said, it, just to make sure I understand you, I know you have RSS feeds for every region, right? Correct. Um, uh, each region's uh, public uh, information is tied to an RSS feed. They can be found on www.fema.gov. Now, are those RSS feeds uh, republished through the corresponding Twitter accounts? Uh, through our national account, which is uh, on Twitter, it's FEMA in focus. It's our one national account. Um, we repurpose all of the uh, um, public feeds uh, so that it's not clogging up all the local feeds, but it can go out through the uh, national one. Got it, got it. But you're not matching up... Because if you have regional feeds, why wouldn't you take the regional feed directly through to the regional Twitter account? They can. It's, it's an option they can use. It's, it's up to the regions to decide if that's what they want to do. Okay, um, so... We, so wanted, we wanted to kind of build it so that it was a lot of choice on their part, not just headquarters telling them what to do. Got it. So you're there at the national level. There are these 10 different regions. You've got these 10 feeds, RSS feeds, these 10 Twitter accounts plus the national account. Talk to me about staffing. What does it take to staff this operation? Um, the thing that's really unique about FEMA, and I don't think there's very many other federal agencies like us, is we have an automated um, uh, decentralized communications model. And what that means is basically um, my counterpart um, doesn't really exist anywhere. However, the tools um, work with the job descriptions of folks who work in the region. So. For example, when a disaster is up, we don't send out a social media person to do the work. They send out folks to be able to staff the news desk who talk to the media. We also send out folks to do community relations who go door to door and talk to people. These are the people who are integrating the tools into what they're doing, so it's not a standalone, uh, disconnected position. It's actually something that builds off of um, the authority that they have in those communities to talk on behalf of the agency. Is there and, any policy, are there any official guidelines that they've been given to help them do this effectively? Absolutely. There is actually, within external affairs, which handles public affairs, congressional um, affairs, as well as uh, intergovernmental affairs and community relations, um, these folks have policies. They're um, called standard operating procedures, um, and they're tool-based. So, for example, we have a, an SOP for using Twitter. We have an SOP for using um, uh, Facebook, and we have an SOP for using um, multimedia sites like YouTube. And so each one has um, a knowledge of the SOP, and they also follow that to be able to create and distribute content. Um, agency-wide, we're working on an agency-wide policy that's going to talk to a larger scope of folks. 
Um, when I talk about you know those folks who are authorized to speak on behalf of the agency, because what we do is emergency management communication, we need to make sure that the folks who are talking are actually vetting the information. The information is accurate. So standard employees, folks who may be program area employees, aren't really talking to the media, so they're not the ones who are going to be using the tools primarily. So it's rather going to be people who are um, trained in how to be able to communicate effectively and not um, uh, basically have messages that are going to contradict each other. Are the standard operating procedures public? Can others Um, read them? um, They can be. We've actually shared them with our partners. We've shared them with uh, media. Um, they're certainly public. They're not placed anywhere publicly. Um, and the great thing about them, i got to say, the thing that I really like about what we're doing with the SOPs is government can tend to have very stagnant rules and regulations. Our SOPs for social media and new media are dynamic. As new tools and new uh, ways to be able to communicate are coming online, we're looking at how we can improve them and how we can actually use the folks from the field to be able to say, you know what, this is a better way of using podcasts. Let's do this. And we welcome that kind of input from our folks. Okay, John, I'm going to ask you to be your own worst critic right now. Uh, What, if anything, are the drawbacks of handling social media communications through external affairs? Well, the drawbacks for us, for FEMA, um, the problem is a lot of times we have information that uh, is is very, very timely, um, and we're not the originators of content. So it's very hard for us um, to be able to put out a message on behalf of the state. So one of the things that we need to do is make sure that the state is putting out the message and we're participating and using our network to help share that for them. Um, For example, if a disaster were to recur in a state and FEMA is not even asked to participate yet, there's not very much we can say about individuals getting uh, assistance or where individuals can go. That's really a state message. And so what we want to be able to do is make sure all of our partners um, at the state and local level are getting up to speed and they can do all this stuff. We're actually finding some state and local communities that are doing an uh, incredible job using social media, and we're learning from them. Talk to us, if you would, about the on-network and off-network resources that you're leveraging in the social media channels. Absolutely. The most important thing um, uh, for us as a federal agency is that we look primarily at our on-network solutions. These are things that are housed on our uh, networks, on our FEMA.gov site, and they're data that's being sourced from behind our firewalls. So this is really important for a federal agency to kind of look at how you can automate your data so that when it gets taken off-network, it can get plugged into things either through RSS feeds or through widgets so that individuals can actually benefit from a greater transparency of your information. Um, starting there, uh, it helps us uh, navigate the very tricky IT security as well as um, Privacy Act and legal issues of using third-party sites like Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Um, these are things that we can do, but if we don't create content on network, it's going to be very difficult uh, to be able to get content in a timely way off network because we still have to go through a verification process. So if we're actually using verified information and data that's coming from our network and from data warehouse sources that we're we're actually creating the information for, then we can actually tie it more efficiently to off-network solutions. How do you sequence the release of that information? It really depends on what information it is. Um, it's, it's very interesting. There's a, and I was talking about our state partners. We really have to stay in a, um, an appropriate sequence depending on stage of disaster. Um, the level of information that the federal government can put out during an incident, incident 
is really determined by the level of information that the state and locals are putting out. Um, we can put out national-level messaging about what the federal government is doing, but the primary responsibility for that response is coming from the state and locals, and they're the ones who are really putting out the most uh, important and accurate information. So we are really kind of dependent on their ability to be able to push information also, but then making sure that we're flexible enough to be able to push our information. Now, once a disaster is declared, we've got our joint information set up, and we can actually work even more efficiently with the state before there's even information going out. So this is a way of being able to, it depends on which gear of the disaster we're in, to be able to communicate. But independent of the relationship with state and locals, just looking at FEMA, uh, independently. Let's say, for example, a state of emergency has been declared by the governor and you guys have moved in and now you're in full force. How would you sequence the release of information between the on-network and the off-network resources? Well, on-network, um, we would actually have information that's going out either through our SSB, there would be um, fact sheets and press releases, but we'd also have uh, information that's coming in, whether it's visual information. Uh, we can go down and we can actually take um, uh, imagery. And uh, quite often, um, we are working with the state before there's been a presidential declaration for assistance, basically to gather data, to be able to uh, get information about, you know, where are the hardest-hit communities, um, what are the risks, you know, what are the shortfalls um, of the community, if they need more shelter assistance, if they need, you know, commodities, these kinds of things. So we're already working with them on that. Um, release of that information is going to go through our on-network solution. It's going to come out in the form of everything from fact sheets to sit reps, um, as I mentioned earlier, to um, press releases. So once those things have been verified, we can then use a lot of our social media tools to be able to push them more efficiently through our network so individuals can actually see um, the information on our network. Um, the thing that's really important about that is that, um, quite honestly, press releases just don't do it. Press releases will go out, and it may just go to the mass media. That's all that they're really paying attention to. But something that we can put out through, say, a social network um, that says, hey, this is the location of all the shelters, and if um, you're kind of concerned about the fact that it's coming through a social network, look back here to the origination of this link, which is back on a FEMA.gov website, so you know it's authorized information. That's the other benefit of using on-network solutions to back-end a lot of the social media tools is that you can actually have the authority of the on-network um, website to be able to say, look, this is accurate, this is verified. Um, it, um, a lot of what you can see out there on the web is that folks can pretend to have the right information or think they have the right information, but there's not that sort of uh, stamp behind them that says this is the official information unless it's coming from a .gov site for many people. So I guess what you're saying, I just want to clarify this, you're saying that information at FEMA.gov is more credible than information that might exist on a third-party social network? Um, information on FEMA.gov is used to be able to um, get to the credibility of what we're using on social media sites. I mean, it's the same individuals who will be putting out the information on, say, Twitter or on Facebook or even shooting videos for our YouTube, um, but the information for the public, for the public's right to know, um, they know that it's actually coming from a credible site. It's actually the same information just to network differently. But does that mean that you basically, by necessity, move on the on-network resources first? Uh, not always. Um, a lot of the information that we've already have um, uh, put out um, already exists, whether it's about you know security, safety information, things to do before, during, and after a tornado, for instance. Those things already exist. So if a tornado is happening, all I have to do is go on and start re-networking that information through, say, Twitter. I can look at individuals who are saying um, through their accounts, help, there's a tornado coming, what do I do? 
I can actually say, hey, here are some tips, and they'll know it's coming from FEMA.gov. It's not coming from uh, joesblog.com. Um, and they'll go, oh, well, if this is what the federal government's saying are, are things to do before, after, during a tornado, this might be able to be helpful. So using that kind of as a back end uh, really helps to be able to get the information out because I also know that I don't have to go back through an approval process to be able to reach that person. I can actually just point back to something that's already been approved and say this is the official message. What about the are, – are there security concerns with uh, publicizing information about a disaster – uh, particularly if uh, you know people are in a position where they're vulnerable to crime because they have no power or uh, because they have no lights, um, is there any concern that if you were to promote that somehow um, uh, criminal activity or subversive activity uh, might might look to that to might look at that information as a way to prey on uh, vulnerable communities? Um, you're. One of the things I always focus on is uh, um, fraud as well as um, vulnerable communities uh, due to um, whether they're kind of closed off because um, maybe the one bridge into town is closed off, maybe there's no electricity and stuff like that. Um, we're working with our state and locals to be able to address that. And a lot of times the security issue of these communities gets brought in. And um, what you'll see is the state or locals will bring in everything from National Guard to um, uh, uh, extra police departments to be able to help maintain order. Um, what we do on a federal level is kind of look at that, and we want to make sure that they're getting the support. So if the state doesn't have uh, enough National Guard, for instance, um, we can mobilize federal support of other National Guard uh, folks from other states to be able to help. Um, so these, these are all kinds of different things we can do. Um, as far as pushing information, quite honestly, um, you're going to find that the major media is going to be on the scene uh, already talking about how the power's out in this community and how these people are vulnerable. So this is a way of, of actually being able to listen to those people. Um, if the power's out, they can actually be on their cell phones. They can actually go to their car, plug in their um, laptop, get online for some people if it's not too far from um, a place where their air card might be able to pick it up, if they're savvy, um, and be able to say, hey, we're out of power. Somebody needs to send help. Um, their state and locals can get that information. We can actually see that and say, um, this is something we need to be aware of because this community is actually looking for a system. Now, I just want to follow up on something you said earlier. You mentioned that um, if you were to have an interaction via Twitter with someone and was coming from FEMA in focus, that would have added credibility, even though it was through a, a social channel. Um, I want to get back to this idea of staffing because I know there's only one of you. And you mentioned uh, a, uh, a tool, a tweet grid, which is a uh, social media Web 2.0 tool for measurement. Um, talk to us about staffing from a monitoring standpoint and also the tools you rely on to monitor. Sure. Sure. Um, well, my lawyers always tell me that I cannot endorse any one tool. Um, so I can say um, I certainly use a lot of different tools, um, and every day there seems to be something else that's coming out. Um, that helps me uh, be able to monitor whether it's uh, certain individuals or uh, monitor um, certain partners or activities. So trending is very important. Um, uh, we're not collecting any data on individuals. We're actually collecting information on what kind of trends are happening. Are people looking for uh, answers to specific questions? Um, are people in need of uh, information that's going to help them get to a shelter in time? These are the kind of things that we want to be able to use the tools for. So um, I use TweetGrid, uh, TweetGrid because, unlike some of the other ones, um, I can get it past my IT security because I don't have to download anything uh, to my desktop. 
Um, now, that's at work. When I'm at home and I'm actually working from home, because even though um, I may be uh, working a 9-to-5 day, um, the Internet is not 9-to-5, and neither is the American public. So I always get on and I see what's going on um, just, just to be able to be aware so that I'm not caught off guard. Now, that's just me individually, but we nationally have um, what's called media monitoring um, uh, folks, and these folks actually um, gather information, everything from the mass media, from TV, video, print, blogs, but then they also um, go on to um, uh, gather information from uh, whether it trends on Twitter, and we're working with them to uh, look at more ways that they can gather, gather information. A lot of uh, private, private individuals are setting up things like news feeds where they'll basically um, tap somebody and they'll throw up everything that's coming from their YouTube to their Facebook to their Twitter account, um, just to be able to uh, have a constant news feed of them. We're looking at that, too, but what we want to be able to do is um, see how we can actually be more responsive and respond to uh, inquiries faster so that the public actually gets the information um, if it's a, a crisis information. So um, we also have in disasters uh, folks who are called media monitors who do the exact same thing locally just for that community, and they're only focused on um, the community that's uh, impacted by the disaster. So nationally we're doing it, regionally we do it, but also in the um, field offices uh, uh, for specific disasters. How many people does it take, and what type of skills do those people have to have to be effective media monitors? Um, it's really scalable. Um, for each disaster, depending on what stage of the disaster and also the size of the disaster, um, you can have anywhere from one person to five people. Um, so it's really scalable depending on uh, what's happening with the disaster. Um, but the skills are usually, most of these folks are former journalists, uh, most of the folks that we hire in external affairs are former journalists, um, folks who um, have a, a degree of understanding of the mass media. Um, we've actually been going through and hiring specifically um, to work in social media um, aspects. And most of these folks, again, are journalists to begin, but they've also adapted the tools to be able to use them to gather and also to uh, distribute information. So that's what we want to be able to look at is not just... Um, as an agency, we're putting out information, but how it reform the ways that we're actually gathering information to be more effective to the public. John, let's talk for a minute here about technology strategy. Um, why is FEMA concerned with incorporating compatibility into its social media crisis communications plans? Um, compatibility is really uh, an issue that... Um, on a national level, uh, we're very concerned. We have a thing called NIMS. It's National Incident Management System. Um, and basically what that does is it sets out a standard uh, credentialed list of typing uh, products. Um, they could be everything from um, a way that you type a fire truck to the way that you type a, an individual's ability to do a specific task. Um, we're developing this on a national scale, and this is something that FEMA is really working on. That way that if State A asks, for a fire truck to help with the wildfire, and State B responds and says, I've got type B uh, truck, then State A knows what kind of truck it's getting before it arrives. So we're looking at that on, on a whole scale. It's not just with technology. We're looking at how we can actually stand the way that the American response system really works. So this is something that we're working with the states on. So also what you'll find is states themselves are going out and they're adopting a lot of different tools. So we want to make sure that we're using... Um, things like RSS feeds and XML um, that are going to be compatible across networks. And it's not just going to be some proprietary uh, software we're using to communicate, but basically the standards of how people communicate. And that goes everything to 
how our website is set up um, using uh, websites that are compliant with every known browser um, or at least the standard set of browsers that we expect the majority of the public to use. Um, it's going to go into everything from uh, using a technology that's going to drive to cell phone communication um, and making sure that uh, we're not um, creating something that the American public isn't using. How uh, is FEMA addressing the growing demands of mobile? We're actually, there, there are a couple of things, and there, oh, some of them are actually outside of my scope. They're working on them from a different perspective, on a national preparedness uh, directorate perspective. And they're working with um, folks from uh, different federal agencies to make sure that uh, every federal law is upheld when we uh, communicate to folks through uh, cell phones. A lot of these things are, are, uh, have been in development for a while, um, but uh, they're outside of just the external affairs communication because it's more of an operational sending direct messages to folks um, process. Uh, but we're actually looking at um, how uh, other federal agencies have done it. Um, CDC has done a fantastic job with being able to create content specifically for mobile devices. We want to be able to do the same thing. But at the same time, we're realizing that CDC is a major partner of ours in disasters for health communication. So they put out information on boil water notices. You know, when the state and local say you need to boil water, CDC has a message ready to go on what to do and how to boil water. If we can partner better with our federal partners, um, that helps leverage what they're already doing so that we're not duplicating efforts. But at the same time, we're certainly trying to figure out um, certain solutions that are going to be cross-platform for every device, whether it's a smartphone or whether it's just a standard mobile phone. Um, we're also working with um, different groups that are, are creating more crowdsourcing sites to be able to say, well, if you're building a backend for this, what kind of data feeds can we create so that you can just pull them and then it's not even uh, something that we, as a federal steward of the American taxpayers, need to go out and start creating a lot of different stuff. If the private sector is already doing it, how can we create um, data that's going to tie in with what they're doing so they can do it themselves and uh, the public can get served? So it's a lot of different sides, a lot of different angles, and um, we're certainly looking at any kind of suggestions we could do to help people get more information faster. John, I recently uh, interviewed a researcher named Leisha Palin who did a study about uh, how people use social media during the Virginia Tech massacre. And uh, one of the things um, uh, that happened uh, when that uh, massacre occurred was their site went down because they couldn't um, respond to the number of page requests that had come in at once. There was a huge spike in traffic to the site, and so the site went down. Now, obviously, you guys are working heavily on on-network resources. What sort of infrastructure is required to be prepared for a huge spike in traffic? Um, not to give away any trade secrets, but I do believe we're using Akamai for a back end. Um, that actually helps us distribute a lot of the load. Um, and, uh, you know, being a federal agency, we're certainly uh, concerned about um, anything from a denial of service attack to any other kind of um, hacking that may be going on. So being able to handle loads of um, uh, inquiries, um, for example, um, during hurricanes, we get a ton of folks we're coming looking for information, and they're navigating through the site. That creates a lot of um, bandwidth issues, but um, we've got um, uh, the architecture is constantly evolving, and they're constantly looking at how they can establish um, reliable service through uh, the uh, .gov domain. Uh, but that also goes to a very important point, that all the things that we're doing in social media are just like all the things we're doing through external affairs, and they're supplemental to a larger picture. Social media is just one more tool that we have to be able to reach the public, but it's a great tool to be able to get out there 
and not just push message to them, but to be able to engage them so that they can be partners with them, spreading information. And that's what's really powerful about it. Um, and that's one of the things that we actually get to be able to do um, on a local uh, level that I think a lot of other federal agencies don't get that sort of reach into the public that uh, we inherently have um, due to our, the nature of our content. Do you have any sense of what type of percentage increase in visits occurs as a result of an emergency? Or are there any general ranges you can give us? I don't personally have that. Um, I know our webmaster would have all that stuff, um, but um, I, I don't personally track that. Got it. John, final question. Um, you guys have a YouTube channel. and right. um, Were you involved in setting up a YouTube channel? Can you give us any uh, advice on what some of the best uh, settings are uh, from an account standpoint when you're setting up a, a YouTube account? What were some of the decisions you made? Because I know uh, you can set up, um, you can uh, customize your homepage, you can set up your, your playback options, right. you can set up email options, privacy sharing, blog setup, mobile setup, man, uh, account management. Any general advice or specific uh, information you can give us on how best to set up a YouTube channel? It really is um, scalable to your needs. And that's one of the things that's really important about all, all the sites. Um, YouTube, uh, especially, that was the first site that we went out, um, first site that we actually had to make a user uh, modification to. And we actually sat down with lawyers from Google, YouTube, to be able to uh, modify the user agreement. Um, they're fantastic. They um, were able to help us be able to um, look at the tool in a lot of different ways. But what we realized was management of content was really the uh, limiting factor. So what we wanted to do was make sure that the site was being used for distributive videos. Um, and there's a lot of functionality that we just didn't have staff or um, the legal uh, ability to do. Um, for instance, um, we have moderated comments on our site. And a lot of that goes to the Privacy Act. Um, and so... We can open up a lot of uh, things, but unless we have management uh, ability for the blog, um, if, if we didn't have management ability um, for user moderation, then, then that would affect how we used it. So we wanted to make sure that um, we were able to use it in, in a logical and efficient way, but also not to um, overuse any one tool. So it, a lot of federal agencies um, are just like FEMA, where they're looking at these tools that are out there, and they kind of look at something that's got, got a like a, a Swiss Army knife of built-in functionality, um, there's a lot of things that um, may be very uh, appealing, but unless you can really manage the content, which when we launched our site, we only had the ability to really start uploading imagery and um, be able to uh, network it through press releases and other stuff. Um, these are the kind of things that, uh, as we grow, we're able to start adding more things. And I think you'll see uh, DHS launch their website would uh, launch their YouTube site, and they've got sort of a bigger picture than we have about the use of YouTube um, to be able to um, network information for public citizen. I want to squeeze in one last question. Okay. Um, on the off-network side, which is the new mm -hmm. media side, how many people at the national level on your team uh, do you have to be able to staff that function? That, on, the, on the national level, that would be myself. Um, officially. But the thing that's really great about it is um, because new media is something that I think individuals are very engaged in. Um, for example, uh, not a lot of folks are engaged in mitigation in their daily businesses, but I can tell you pretty much the entire office is on Facebook, right? So this is something that I can say, hey, you know, you're an authorized spokesperson for 
um, a program area, you can help uh, with the Facebook uh, to put out messaging for mitigation. So I can actually kind of uh, leverage the um, dual expertise of certain individuals where it's not really officially their job. And so they can actually come in and work with me to be able to create content and answer questions specific to uh, subject matter. So officially it's just me, but there um, is the ability for me to pull in other folks. And it's kind of rotating. And it's actually kind of interesting because I get to see a lot of perspectives from a lot of different folks um, as to what their particular audience may be interested in. John Shea, Public Information Officer, New Media at FEMA. Thank you for joining us. You want to say goodbye? Oh, uh, thank you very much, Eric. It was great. Perfect. Thanks so much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 